It's Acts 26 and it's verses 1 to 32. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them, I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the, of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goad. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. 
I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has, ha has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Thank you. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, nice to be with you again. And uh, thank you, Mark, for that uh, reading. So here we have Jesus' words uh, back in Matthew 10 coming true. This is what he says to his disciples as he sends them out on one of their initial missions. He says, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And that's what we see happening here with uh, Jesus' apostle Paul. He's on trial before a governor, uh, the Roman governor Festus, who brings in the Jewish king, uh, Agrippa, for a second opinion. And Paul is in trouble for preaching the resurrection and he makes his defense and he basically says in these early verses of this uh, chapter Acts 26 you know what's the crime in preaching the resurrection it's, it's there in the Old Testament and uh, he doesn't leave it there he continues with his uh, evidence of the resurrection uh, the resurrection of Jesus he, he talks about uh, his own skepticism to start with in verses 9 to 11 and how that uh, skepticism turned to belief uh, doubt turned to faith, opposition against Jesus turned to standing for Jesus. Why was that? Because Jesus appeared to him. Paul encountered the risen Jesus. As he traveled to Damascus, Paul becomes a witness of the resurrection. So he himself becomes a witness to the risen Lord Jesus. And verses 17 to 18 are the verses that I want to kind of hone in on uh, this, more, uh, this afternoon. Uh, and they tell us what being a witness of the resurrection will mean for Paul. And what we have in these verses is a wonderful summary of the Christian gospel, the Christian message. Now, there are a number of these throughout the book of Acts, and they're so wonderful and they're so helpful in just helping us to see uh, what the Christian gospel is. So it just helps to clarify for us to see and to be reminded uh, this morning of how wonderful the gospel is. It really is good news. So Acts uh, chapter 26, uh, verses uh, 17 and 18. What is the gospel about? Well, look at verse 18. It's about illumination. Um, it's about eyes being opened. So Jesus speaks and he said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to uh, open their eyes. Uh, to open their eyes is what he, he says. So that's what it's about. Illumination. It's about seeing clearly about the, tr the truth about God, the truth about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you just look across to verse 23, he calls this message the message of light. And we desperately need this light. By nature, we can't see spiritually. We're, we're blind. Uh, it's a much more serious problem, physical blindness. It's spiritual blindness. We're all born in this blindness. 
And remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So in our natural state, we can't see that. And we need a great miracle, a miracle of illumination. And that's what the gospel brings about. The gospel is about having this terrible blindness taken away so that we can see the glory of Christ. It's a wonderful illumination. Uh, secondly, we see that the gospel is about liberation, liberation. It's about changed dominion. Uh, it's about uh, being taken from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. So the two dominions are mentioned there, if you notice, darkness and light and the power of Satan, the power of God. They're two parallel ways of talking about the same thing. But what I want us to see is just the starkness of the terms that Jesus uses as he communicates the gospel to Paul. And I just wonder if, you know, do we think in these terms, um, you know, people transferring as their eyes are open from the power of Satan, darkness, to the power of God, light. Uh, notice there's no third party in this issue. And it's the most crucial of issues. It's not a three-party system or a multi-party system to use political language. It's either or. And I think we do need to grasp this. We've got so many categories that we like to use to label people or to label ourselves with, whether that's uh, single, married, divorced, straight, gay, rich, poor, employed, unemployed, young, old, good-looking, ugly, uh, labor, conservative, liberal, green, exam failure, exam success, vaccinated, unvaccinated. And what Jesus is telling us here is really you need to rethink your big categories. And at the end of the day, when it all comes down to it, we are either a servant of Satan or a servant of God. And that was very helpfully art articulated in a, a Bob Dylan song. Um, Bob Dylan sang uh, a song, Gotta Serve Somebody. You may be familiar with it, but this is how the song goes. This is how it starts anyway. Uh, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble, may like to dance. You might be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Maybe the devil or maybe the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. We're either serving the devil or the Lord. Do we think in those terms, I wonder, about our non-Christian friends and colleagues and neighbors and our non-Christian family members? Because that's where they are. They're, they're in darkness. They're under the power of Satan. They're enslaved by the evil one. And it is very stark, isn't it? And it's shocking. They're in bondage. They're enslaved. And their biggest need is to be set free. Uh, I'm often thinking these days when I watch the news and uh, hear everything about the pandemic every day is uh, I've got to remind myself the biggest pandemic is not COVID-19. The biggest pandemic is sin and judgment. And the only vaccine for that is Jesus. And when we become Christians, we go from darkness to light. We go from being slaves of Satan to being slaves to God. And being under the power of God is true freedom. It's light. Uh, it's wonderful. So the gospel is about liberation. 
Uh, the gospel is also about forgiveness of sins and a place in God's family. Uh, do you see those two blessings that Jesus mentions there in, uh, in verse 18? Paul is to go and preach the gospel uh, so that people move from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. So they receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified. So two blessings, that's pardon, forgiveness of sins, and a place, uh, a home amongst God's holy people. And notice that we receive these two things. He says, so they receive it. They're gifts. It's not about anything we've done. We don't earn them because we can't earn them. We don't work for them because we can't work for them. We receive them. And it's possible for us to receive them. That's the good news. But only possible because of Jesus' work on the cross. He is the suffering Messiah, as Paul says later on in his defense. He's the Messiah who suffered. And because he suffered, we can have these blessings. We can only have pardon for sin because Jesus was punished for our sin on the cross. We can only have a place in God's family because Jesus was cast off from God as he died on the cross. He took what we deserve. And it's only because of his work that we can have the blessing of forgiveness. Now, I think we find it difficult. Uh, something in us is still trying to work hard, isn't it, to win God's forgiveness, to win his acceptance. But the gospel message is that Christ has done it all and he's won complete forgiveness for us. And if you're like me, you take it for granted because if we've been Christian for any length of time, we're always hearing about forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, and we can become a bit blasé about it. But imagine if God were to say to you, I'm sorry, there's no forgiveness, no forgiveness for you. Um, I've checked my resources and I just don't have it for you. There's, there's none for you. Now, if we were to hear that, that would be absolutely devastating. There's a um, an Australian author called Craig Sherborne. He wrote a, a book called Unforgiven, and it's autobiographical book. And he tells uh, of how he got married in his younger life. He married uh, a woman who became ill uh, with breast cancer, and uh, he couldn't cope with her illness and uh, felt he couldn't look after her, and he cowardly left the marriage. He was later contacted and was told that uh, his wife had died and attached to the note was a message from his wife. And she said this, she said, you are to send no flowers. You are not to attend my funeral. And the word from the grave was no forgiveness, no forgiveness for you ever. And the book tells of how he struggles with, with no forgiveness. The word from Jesus cross and the word from Jesus grave, his empty grave is the exact opposite of that. It's not no forgiveness, it's forgiveness, forgiveness, free forgiveness at Christ's expense, full forgiveness, covering everything that we've done, past, present, future, forgiveness, full, forever. That's the, the gospel is about, forgiveness of sins. It's also about repentance. Now, now, the question is, you know, what does it mean in practice, verse 18, to turn? What does it mean in practice to have faith in Christ? And it's what Paul preaches in verse 20. Uh, so what does he preach? If you have a quick look at verse 20, I'll read it for us. Um, he says, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So it starts out with repentance, uh, becoming a Christian, and it continues with deeds in accordance with repentance so it's not just notice praying a prayer of commitment at the evangelistic rally or at the the meeting where the gospel has been clearly presented and 
you've had the opportunity to pray. It's not just that and then doing nothing more. It's, it's the turning, it's the commitment, followed then by a life lived out in repentance, doing the good works that God prepared for us in advance to do. So not as the root, as the cause of salvation, but as the, the fruit, the result of salvation. Uh, Mickey Cohen, uh, he was a gangster uh, in uh, the 1950s. He was a notorious gangster in Los Angeles. He heard Billy Graham speak on numerous occasions. And one time he actually went forward and he prayed what's called the sinner's prayer, a penitence prayer, asking the Lord to come into his life. Um, but after a few months, uh, the church leaders who were kind of surrounding him were, were a bit concerned because there's no change in his life. And they eventually decided to confront him on this. And uh, they said, you know, we, we just don't see any change. You're still involved in all your old activities. And, and he says, well, what, what's the problem? You can have a Christian footballer. You can have Christian politicians. You can have Christian cowboys. Why not a Christian gangster? No one had really given him the, the message of repentance. And when they told him and shared that with him, that the gospel is about a changed life, then he didn't want, sadly, anything more to do with Jesus Christ. And he remained in the darkness. He remained under the power of Satan. It's a sad story. The gospel is about a changed life and Jesus' power in changing our lives. And a changed life is going God's way instead of my way. And again, that's true freedom. And for those of us who've been Christians for any length of time or even for a short time, we'll know that going God's way is the best way. And there's real joy in that. Well, there's much, much more that we could uh, bring out of this uh, this long passage, but uh, let me just draw things together by saying, uh, do you notice how staggering the irony of the gospel is? The, the gospel is absolutely wonderful, but notice the irony of the gospel. And it's there in verse 29. So verse 29, uh, here is Paul, uh, just after um, Agrippa says, you know, do you think you can convert me in such a short time? And Paul responds by saying this short time or long So You know, I'm not trying to get a notch on my belt by getting a decision tonight. Um, I pray that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. That's, that's an astounding statement. You see the irony. He's saying, all of you present here with your power and your wealth and your position, how I wish, oh, how I wish that all of you might become what I am. I'm, I'm the one to be envied, says Paul. That's an amazing statement. Here's this prisoner. He's got chains on his wrists and his ankles. How can he say to that governor and that king, I wish you were like me. Well, we can understand it if we go back to verse 18. Here's these people. They're wealthy, powerful, famous people. But they're in the darkness, whereas Paul is in the light. They're enslaved by Satan, but Paul has been set free from that evil power. And now he enjoys the freedom of being God's servant. Paul is, is free. They're the ones who are in bondage. He's been forgiven his sins, but they're still in theirs. They're still guilty. Paul has a place. He has a home uh, amongst God's people. He's going to be there amongst that great multitude in the new creation but these people are lost and they don't belong anywhere and so he prays to god it's because i have what you don't have it's because the gospel is so precious jesus is such a treasure what an appeal that is uh, stonewall jackson he was a general in the american army and uh, american civil war in 1854 his wife ellie gave birth to a, a son sadly the son was stillborn and tragically she died giving birth to the baby so this man's whole world came crashing down. He was absolutely crushed. The next day, he wrote to his sister, Laura, and he told her that he thought that he could submit to anything if God strengthened him for it. 
but he, you know, he made no attempt to cover up his grief and his sad despair. But Laura wasn't a Christian. And in the middle of rehearsing his sadness and his grief and his loss to her, he wrote this. He says, oh, my dear sister, would that you could have him for your God. Would that you could have him for your God. And can you imagine that? Can you imagine saying that? Can you think of anyone in a weaker and worse state than that man? He's just lost his wife. He's just lost his child. The Lord's taken away the people most dear to him that matter most to him in the world. And he's devastated. And then he says to his sister, I pray that you could have him for your God. What an appeal. It's as if she should envy him. And if you're a Christian, don't envy anyone else their position. You are in the light. You're no longer in darkness. You're no longer in slavery to Satan. You're a slave of Christ now, a servant of Christ. You're free. You're forgiven. You have a place amongst God's people. You'll be there in that glorious new creation, in that great company. You have everything that matters. You have Christ. You are the one to be envied. And maybe that's a good thing for us to hold on to today. Amen.